and welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast. It's a podcast where we discuss mostly story-based video games, like the initial pitch for this was covering visual novels, but we've kind of broadened our scope, as you'll see with our with the game we're about to talk about. But uh, yeah, visual novels, story-focused games, anything that seems like it has an interesting narrative. I'm your host, Jennifer Uncle, and uh, joining me is Six Detmar. Ah, Frau Uncle, a, a smooth, seamless introduction there. <laughs> Thanks. And... Uh, Joining us also, as always, Olivia. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I blanked on the last name. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay, Olivia Joseph. I was going to do Kath, but then I was like, what is Kath? How does he talk? I'm Robert Ka I'm Robert Kath. Hello, I'm an American. <laughs> do you have the gold? Uh, yeah. Okay, there you go. That was a flawless impression. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have the gold, man. Okay, I don't, I don't. Now I don't know what you're doing with your accent there. Uh, I'd like. I definitely have the gold. I've I've got it. You got the the stuff. Uh, Herr Whitney, you got to get yours. I've got to get mine. Yeah. I'm actually German. I get to do this. Yeah, I knew. It's okay. I knew about this. Um, so I'll get my stuff, and then you get your stuff, and then. We exchanged some stuff. Great talking to you, buddy. I'm hmm. I'm gonna go walk around the passenger car one more time. You're being extremely vague and shady, but I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> uh, that's literally what playing this game is like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in in case you haven't played this before and don't know what we're talking about, um, this is The Last Express, um, a game released in um, 1997 by Smoking Car Productions, their first and only game. Um, basically, it was designed and written and directed by Jordan Mechner, who you might know from um, Prince of Persia, um, Karataka, and a lot more Prince of Persia. And uh, it was also co-written co by Tommy Pierce, and it released to pretty critical acclaim, but also sold like dog shit. Like, um, it cost around $6 million to make this, and it only sold... It sold very little. Like, it, it took three years for it to hit 100,000 units, and... That wasn't enough to keep that studio around, but uh, I think what they've made here is pretty interesting. I um, This information is apocryphal. It comes from the Wikipedia page, but I remember reading that the marketing staff of their publishing company that they were using quit uh, like before the release of the game. So there was like just no, there was no marketing campaign, basically. Mm. Oh, geez. Yeah, that that couldn't have helped things. Um, also, apparently, ha like a third of their publishing group quit um, shortly after they made the, I, after they released the game too. like uh, SoftBank, the people who you may know in the headlines now for funding a bunch of uh, super shitty dot com businesses like uh, WeWork. Um, they were publishing this in Japan at one point. Sounds like you're editorializing a bit there, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Well, what is a opinion podcast if not to editorialize? <laughs> We're here for for just the facts, ma'am. At least when it comes to we work. Give me give me a clean take where you're completely unbiased towards <laughs> WeWork. They also happen to fund WeWork, a startup venture with quite a bit of cash flow as of 2019. There we go. There we go. All right. <laughs> uh, if you want, I can give you um, I can give you just the facts that you start off Last Express with. That would be delightful, Olivia. All right. Here I go. Is that it? You did it? Yeah, that's it. You read the manual, okay, right? I gave you a manual before I gave you the facts. Uh, if you didn't... Uh, I hope you read that. You didn't You didn't give me a manual. Oh. Um, hmm. Whoops. <laughs> uh, no, that is... I keep doing these... I keep doing these abstract bits. To be clear... There is a lot of information in the Last Express manual that I would have appreciated being, or I would have expected to be delivered to me through some sort of introductory game narrative or cutscene or something of the like. Uh, Instead, I was uh, chucked on a train uh, and was trying to figure out what was happening who I was, what my objective was, um, and also the game was very small because I was encountering a resolution bug. So the last express and I got off to a rocky start. So the start of the game is you see a guy and he's 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 like poking his head out of the train and it's the Orient Express and it stopped at a station. He sort of glances around, he glances at the guards and he ducks back in and the train takes off. Then a motorcycle rides up with a new person and the lady driving the motorcycle, the lady the lady is like pulls up alongside it, the dude jumps off the motorcycle onto the train, waves at her, then goes to a car, and there's a dead guy. And that's all you get. It, you don't get any dialogue. Oh, well, you do get one line of dialogue, because when the guy steps in, uh, he's, he says, Tyler, when he sees the dead body. But you don't know anything. It's very cinematic, but they seem to have forgotten the part where I then have to inhabit a character. And choose actions for that character. Um, and, I mean, to to generalize it out, this was one of... is one of my main sort of issues with this game, is that I never really felt like it gave me an in into Robert Kath, the main character, what he... like, the world he inhabits, who he is, what he cares about, um, what he would do or could theoretically do in a situation mm. like this. Uh, like this as in any situation in the game. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of clicking and turning around and uh, trying to see if I could investigate random things and then uh, getting caught by cops and thrown in jail, I think, the game would mostly just end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anytime you get a game over, it basically cuts to a train whistle, um, a bit of of writing in a notebook, and uh, someone narrating the final moments. uh, I got some game overs that weren't even that. 
Oh yeah, there's somewhere you just straight up get got, and it's it takes you back to the little uh, time rewinding clock you have. The Fabergé egg. His Fabergé egg. Did uh, I'm I'm masking this for my own ego's sake. Um, I I hope that everyone else got the ending where you get Tyler's like the the bad ending where you get Tyler's blood on you and then wander out into the train and get caught immediately. No. Oh. Sorry, but I was like, well, I gotta take do something about this coat. That was like an immediate thought I had. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I had blood on my coat. I didn't see any blood. <laughs> you totally see it. Well, okay, when you dump the body out the window, you totally see a shot of, of Robert like standing there with a bunch of blood on his coat. And then like it pans and you see another coat on the wall. And to me, it felt like a pretty obvious. That's my... I didn't need a walkthrough for that one. That's my problem. I didn't throw him out the window eventually. <laughs> because throw him... what did... Cause in my head, I thought, okay dead person dead person i know um what do i want to do here not throw him out the window as i think you're intended to do i ended up putting him on the bed um Mm. in the car and you can just put the bed right back in like retract it Mm -hmm. in um and tyler's body will stay there um it never becomes an issue when the guy comes to make the bed apparently it it does, but you can be waiting outside your room and tell the guy, nah, you don't need to make my bed tonight. It's good. Like, eventually you have to pitch the body of your friend out the window, but you don't have to at first. Hmm. So I continued so- to get blood game overs for a while because <laughs> if you don't throw him out the window, you never see that you have his blood on you from picking up his dead body. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think the, the first game over I got was I walked into the room and I, I just played this like a human being, um, <laughs> where I was like, oh shit, a dead body. And I turned and I pulled the train whistle because there's been a murder. <laughs> um, you and they're like, uh, yeah. And I, and it was like, well, and so there's this shady person and we arrested him and he probably murdered the dude too. It was basically the narration. And, I, and so then I loaded back in. I was like, okay, new plan. We're just going full mercenary about this. Dumped the body, got the new coat, and then stepped outside and quietly to myself was like, hi, my name's Ty. Hi, my name's Ty. Hi, my name's Tyler Whitney. You know, trying different <laughs> approaches. And I think I really nailed it by the end. Uh, well, you've got his accent completely wrong because <laughs> you can hear his voice if you look at the telegram that he sent you. Um, it's really more like, hi, my name's Tyler Whitney. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Why don't you make it sing? Cap, I I always like there was a point where I was like navigating through my inventory and I kept accidentally clicking the telegram um, while trying Mm -hmm. to get uh, while trying to get a no because you do need to use the telegram to defuse a bomb Uh, great great adventure game sentence but I kept accidentally reading the telegram and so I have I have uh, Tyler's actor just going calf in my head really strong (laughs) It was fun to start this game up and have the whole body scenario because, like, the one thing... Like, at, at this point, everyone knows that Indigo Prophecy slash Fahrenheit is kind of a shit game. Like, it starts out strong and it ends weak, but that first cut of it, that first bit of the demo where you're just a normal person stumbling into a dead body, in that case, one that you've recently murdered, is a good case of... 
oh shit, what do I do in this scenario? Where do I hide him? What do I do with about all this blood? Someone's probably going to come in here at some point. How do I get out of here in one piece and not look suspicious? And it turns out David Cage has never had an original thought in his life because this game did it at least three or four years earlier than that. I mean, Jen... I thought the execute. I, I I also think Indigo Prophecy is not actually a good game. The execution in that is is good, and you're saying, wait, someone else has thought of trying to cover up a murder before. I got some news for you, Jennifer. <laughs> a lot of people have for thousands of years. That's not the part that was the original thought. Uh, yeah, I've, I guess that's true. <laughs> I've never played Indigo Prophecy, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, my thing about the hiding the dead body in the last express is there's a blood stain on the floor of your of your train compartment for the entirety of the trip mm-hmm. and I still have beef. I think if I get blood on my coat and that gets me a game over, why can the guy come in, make the bed and not notice the blood on the floor when another character comes in, sees the blood on the floor and assumes you've killed somebody? Why can uh, Tatiana just, like, open the door and drop off a letter she translated for you and not be like, hmm, wonder what the blood is about? Oh, I thought that she put the letter under the door. Just sort of scooted it in there. But the train conductors Mm, come in every night and they make your bed. But apparently they don't care about the blood. Wait, she said the... Sir, sir, we are French gentlemen. We would never comment on your uh, personal habits. Except when there's blood on a passenger's coat, then they care. Listen, if it's on your coat, then there was a victim. If there's blood on the floor, uh, maybe you have eccentric taste. Wait, she slipped it under your door in the game? Um, She just handed it to me while I was hanging out with her um, in her little spot where she goes to smoke. There's multiple mm. ways. Um, I looked at a lot of walkthroughs. I have no shame. Uh, and there, I was impressed in the way that there was variation in the routes. Like, um, there are there are certain places where you can do a few actions in different orders. Like, or you can ask. I think you can ask different. You can ask. You have to ask Tatiana to translate. Uh, like the uh, scroll that you find in Tyler's compartment, but you can ask her to do that at different times, and depending on when you ask her, she will give it to you in different places. Mm. Interesting. Uh, like you can you can get that. Just walk up to her stone cold and be like, "Hi, you seem Russian. Can you translate this?" <laughs> That's <laughs> what I did. <laughs> or you can. Cool. Did you give it to the anarchist guy? Yeah, and he was like, why the fuck would you want me to translate this? It's a children's tale. It's a children's tale. Get away from me. <laughs> he tells you that fairy tales are a tool that the bourgeoisie used to keep you uh, oppressed and dreaming of a hero that will come to save you, which is correct. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a huge bummer about it. And Kath is- Here's the thing about Alexi. He's kind of an asshole, but he's also kind of right about most things. About basically everything. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kath is like, "Okay, weirdo, <laughs> have fun with you." All right, buddy. I just wanted you to tra- translate a poem for me, dickhead. <laughs> it it really was hard to get a read on Kath at first because, like, when I came in, I was like, "Oh, Ty- Tyler must have been his friend." But uh, reading the telegram, it's like, "Oh, the two of them are con artists." But then there's that whole bit where 
the older man has a um has something of a seizure and he's like stand back i'm a doctor and i thought that was just him clearing the room so he could investigate closer but no it turns out he's Same. an actual doctor yeah that was a that was a key moment for me as well because i was i was like oh man he's is he gonna is he gonna steal from him is this is he's getting an excuse to do some adventure oh he's actually a doctor okay he's a doctor but he's also like they make a big deal of the fact that he is a uh he's like a white doctor who knows uh non-white methods of treatment that he suggests like an herbal tea for mm -hmm. uh for this old man who's having a panic attack a seizure something like that um mm -hmm. but that like causes a stir that that's his recommended treatment and not medicine um it specifically causes a stir among George Abbott, the world's most obvious spy. <laughs> George Abbott, I love George yeah. Abbott because he's like a he's like a shitty Columbo. Like just he does not have Peter Falk's charm, but he does that exact same wandering around. Ah, oh, hi, I I'm George Abbott. Um, I'm a huge pain in the ass. Nobody likes me. Uh, but can I ask you a question? Can I ask you twenty questions about Robert Cath? He really feels like another adventure game protagonist in this game, <laughs> where he's just like, he's going up to people and being like, oh, so what's the deal with you and this lady? You could, tr I'll be a gentleman. And it's like, why the fuck would anyone answer the, he answered the question. Weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he He does have some delightful conversations where he's just politely badgering people into telling him um, exactly what he wants to know. Uh, while pretending mm -hmm. that he only has like a passing curiosity in it, but also asking the same question twenty times. Yeah, I, I, and I like like on a couple of I like the part where where he is he is the world's most obvious spy, but also the scene where he tell where that comes up. He's like, I mean, I'm a really obvious spy. Surely you figured it out by now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is very funny. My, um, my boy, I'm British. Nobody can do anything to me. <laughs> I do also really like uh just the dynamic of him like I don't, he's just so like 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 persistent and he he puts on like a dumb front and he just has a different dumb reality behind it which I think is beautiful like <laughs> he has the conversation where he's talking with uh with Herr Schmidt and he's like Oh, you know, obviously we're like we're all just. You know, I think in a couple of years there won't even be borders anymore, old boy. You know, we're just we're just all one big happy European family. And then you know, you get him alone. He's like, well, obviously there's going to be a war in like five minutes. <laughs> uh, he do he does predict the EU at one point. <laughs> yeah, it should be mentioned that this takes place in 1914 on the Orient Express during its supposed last journey. Um, so. It's basically right on the hairpin of World War One. Like the game ends with it going into World War One, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's this interesting, it's this interesting sit setup where you're meeting all these different countries that are at each other's throat, more or less, waiting for something to, waiting for something to happen that'll make the hostilities blow up, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it adds to this nice tension that the player that that you as Robert Kath are experiencing in terms of, okay, I'm taking the place of someone who's dead. There's at least five or six people on this train who know that I'm not this person, and at least 
at least a few of them probably know this guy was already dead at some point. Maybe some of them already killed him. So I'm just going to keep walking through these really paper-thin niceties with people who clearly want me dead as well. <laughs> like, anytime you go through... Anytime you go and meet Kronos in the back car, he's like, well, it'd be nice if you had the... Anything... It, it, you, it'd be nice if you had any of these items we agreed upon with your friend, because I'd really like to not see you again, and I have this person next to me who seems pretty capable of murder, so... Please stop talking to me and just give me what I want. <laughs> Turns out less capable than he thought, but... <laughs> There's a lot of people... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, is that sound... Like, Jen, when you describe it, that sounds great. I would love to watch, like, a movie of that. Um, that dynamic of everybody knows what's really going on, but because we're in a public space, we're all leaning on, you know, the pleasantries. Uh, but that was not the experience I had playing the game. Cause like I said, I, I never really, I never really felt like, I never really felt like I had an in to, uh, playing as Kath and understanding what I could do. So I always sort of felt like I was just blundering around, um, and sometimes the things I would try would just work and sometimes they would end my game. And I, mm -hmm. I never really felt like I could predict something, you know, like I just felt adrift yeah. in this game. Mostly. Well, this game made me think a lot about, uh, my favorite, um, Hitchcock movie, uh, North by Northwest. Um, because, so the premise of North by Northwest is that this, um, this businessman is at a restaurant where basically it, incidentally at that restaurant, there is a, a spy who is supposed to meet up with his contact and he's going to get killed because foreign agents are onto him. And because of a mix up, this businessman, they decide, they think this businessman is the spy, right? And thus begins him sort of stumbling around, like caught up in all these schemes when he's just some regular dude. And by the end, he starts actually acting like a spy because he'd been stuck in that environment for so long. Um, I love that movie, and part of the reason I love that movie is I found out much later in life that I had been watching a busted version of that movie. It was recorded from TV by my grandma, and she perfectly started the tape late, missing the first scene in the movie, which is where they just sit down and explain everything that's happening. It's just like a group of characters sit down and like, okay, so here's this spy, but he's not real, and he, we're going to have him meet here. Just explains the entire plot of the movie, and then the movie happens. And I didn't have that scene, so my experience at that movie was this guy being like, what the fuck is going on? And you as the listener, or excuse me, the viewer, going through that along with him. And I felt a lot of that energy in The Last Express, where it's very much about this character dropped in the middle of it, and you and the player, as the player, are as well. And the game trusts sometimes incorrectly that you'll figure things out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i mean like again that sounds great i i guess my because my problem with it i guess is i like i said I'd, I'd love to watch a movie like that that sounds great but mm -hmm. in a game form like i'm because the, the problem with not understanding anything that's really going on in a game is that then you have to choose actions that progress the plot forward anyway and mm -hmm. there were i i really felt like it killed the momentum of the story to be wandering around in this car and being like what am i doing 
who do I talk to? Okay, I found a guy to talk to, uh, but I didn't get the information that I feel like I needed. So do I try to talk to him again? Do I go back and talk to everyone else? I'm walking th th through this train car for the 20th time. Uh, the conductor goes, ah, excusez-moi, monsieur. And I go, okay, bye, and just scoot on by. Like, it really, I feel like any, like, any interesting experience I could have had in there was really killed by, like, the, the speed bumps that came with having to play the game while not understanding what was going on mm -hmm. or what was feasible, you know, like with, with pitching Whitney's body out the window, I didn't even know you could do that because, um, when I went to the window without holding Whitney's body, there didn't seem to be any indication that I could really interact with it. So it took me a really long time. It took me reading it in the walkthrough to be like, Oh, I can throw his body out the window you know, I was never quite clear, what are my range of actions, what can I expect from different actions, um, uh, I would, you know, I would have to stumble around and then go to a walkthrough and be like, oh, the game expects me to get up on the car, walk over the roof of the train, smash a skylight, get into Cronus's private car, steal his gold, walk out back through Cronus's private car in full that view of everybody. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was part is... that was my favorite scene in the whole game because <laughs> basically you've been having this terse back and forth with this guy for a long time and he's he's constantly like, "Hey, I'm not giving you this gold until you give me what I want." And in the middle of this concert that he's arranged, um, everyone at that concert sees you walking out of the back room with this briefcase, and the only thing that Kronos and his bodyguard can do is stare at you like oh okay so that's how it's gonna be huh and not comment on it because they can't tell this concert this train car full of concert goers that oh this person is taking our gold <laughs> and then immediately after the concert the bodyguards like just comes up to you with a gun <laughs> and robert kath is just like yeah yeah you got me <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah. He he needed it to show it to Whitney for like five seconds, and then afterwards he's like, "Yeah, take it, take the gold." But mm -hmm. yeah, that was a thing where it was a great scene when it happened. But in the lead up to figuring out that you had to do it, I was just like, it didn't even enter into my cognition. And I'm sure a lot of this is me not having any experience with this era and style of game, you know. So. Uh, maybe if I had more time and like that, you know, playing games like this, I would be more, I would have more of a sense for what I was expected to do. But my experience was like not having that experience. It made it really choppy. I mean, it's, it's weird because I mean, like, so I, um, I just, played this like 100% with a walkthrough. I mean, like I started out not using a walkthrough and I very quickly was like, okay, I'm just going to use a walkthrough for everything because I wanted to beat the game for this podcast. And also because it was kind of like, I, I had fun poking around. I certainly didn't make any goddamn progress doing that. Um, and I think you, I, you maybe would have done a little better with more genre experience, but like, I do think this game is very obtuse in a lot of ways the possibility space is fairly large. There's not a lot of signposting as to what they want you to do. And I do think you've also hit on a thing where, like, if you look at other adventure games, 
you get an understanding of a character and thus how they would solve things, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you, you, you know, you like Guy Guybrush Threepwood, you get introduced to that character and you learn what kind of dude he is, and that tells you the kind of logic you should be using for puzzles, right? And by the end of this game, I still don't really know what kind of dude Robert Kath is. Mm-hmm. Other than apparently he had the world's most unbelievable romance plot. Yeah. Um, so with me, I definitely got through maybe half or three quarters of the game without relying on a walkthrough all that much. Just because I've played these kind of games before, but also if you approach it with enough time and uh, you aren't too... You aren't too frustrated with not making progress sometimes. You can basically... There's a lot of stuff to just poke at. Like, you can... You can... You figure out that everyone on the train has their own schedule. And you can be like, Oh, hey, around this time... um, The British guy opens up his cart so he can talk with passersby. Around this time, Herr Schmidt goes to dine with... uh, Princess Wolf was was it Queen Wolf or just just Anna Wolf? Oh yeah, she's not she's not royalty. Anna Wolf, um, and uh, just listen to some of a bit of his uh, sad flirting going on, and uh, yeah, like I think the game does a great job of making everything around you feel very lively, especially whenever you're with it, walking through the train passages and. The game uses those moments at, well, it uses those moments and any moment when you're fighting to show full motion, and you're just seeing these people approach you an inch past you in this small car, and it's kind of an exhilarating sensation, especially if you're slightly paying attention to all the different countries you're passing through. The face of the head conductor as he slides past me is going to be burned into my brain. I I always think of the I always think of the different car conductors, and when you get close to them, they get up and the uh you know I had to do they do the you know I had to do it to impose. Bonsoir, Monsieur. Bonsoir, Monsieur. I love the Bonsoir, Monsieur. I love the one who I love the one who's drawing sketches of all everything mm-hmm. he sees, but you can you can only look at his sketches when he gets up to do something else. Like I'll give I'll give that to the game. Like Jen was saying, there's there's so much like it's a really small area, but everyone is like constantly moving around it in a way that makes it feel just like very populated and very like you said lively right like yeah mm-hmm. lively um there was a and charming too like there was a point where i checked the you know the doodling uh conductor's notebook and he had drawn max the dog and i was like hell yeah he talked <laughs> he talked to max and it was just this <laughs> full frontal sketch of max the dog looking like the biggest dope in the world and I was like, wait, mm. this was the conductor who was talking about how much he likes Max the dog. So he drew Max while they were hanging out in the luggage compartment. And it was very, like, you know, actually very uh, very good at conveying, like, these different, you know, the different characters, like, perceptions mm-hmm. of the world and what they're doing on this train. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just kind of let Max the dog out of the luggage compartment and nobody cares. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's not really any consequences. I really expected there to be more when I just I just let him 
go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the but. the whole letting Max out of the compartment to hide the golden, the giant golden egg is the most adventure game shit this game probably gets. Just because it's like, <laughs> who would think to stash a, who would think to stash a valuable egg in in the cage of this dog in plain view too like if you just look in the cage you can see the giant golden egg in the back Mm -hmm. but nobody cares i guess yeah with that exception for the most part it's i feel like it strikes this weird balance where i don't think it quite nails it right like I, I certainly felt like a lot of choices weren't intuitive, right? Like mentioning the, um, you know, walking out with the case of gold. That's not a thing that the player has any reason to believe that's what they're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think all the actions, except for maybe hiding the hiding the egg, are of a, of a level of logic where, you know, like, like you mentioned, if this were a movie and you saw a character do it, you'd say, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. You just wouldn't think to do it yourself necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it doesn't help that the game is inconsistent about signaling when you can and can't get to certain places. Like the the area behind the dining car is totally inaccessible on your first day until you can suddenly click through it on your second day, and uh, just little touches like that and, that and kind of throw off and seemingly pass entirely through the kitchen area without any problems. Like. Mm-hmm. The kitchen seems to be between the dining car and the luggage car, but you never go into the kitchen car at all. You're just on two sides of a curtain where ambient dialogue that you hear leads you to believe the kitchen is on the other side of the curtain. Um, I guess I assumed there was like a hallway that goes around it or something. Yeah, because there's a set of doors that you never go through like immediately when you exit that curtain and you have to walk a little bit further and go through a door to get into the baggage compartment. Oh, that makes sense. I also had some spatial problems in here. Sometimes this game Fair. made me a little ill to play. Mm. Um, uh, mostly when you're trying to go down the car and it's just like one screen uh, fade, slow fading into the next, uh, but you're also moving forward in these like jerky jumps. Uh, sometimes they do full motion and other times it is like very low frame rate animation that eh, both for moving and for like character action a bit difficult for me to follow mm-hmm. yeah the way that they did all of this was they basically took real actors uh put intense makeup on them like uh almost like 1900s vaudeville makeup going on and frame by frame drew them in so you can kind of see why for a lot of the main actions or just various cutscenes you're just seeing it move um a little bit choppily just because they're picking and choosing frames that they want to show you and then when they want to create a sensation of movement they show the whole thing like either when you're passing through cars or getting into a fight or just there are one or two seats, or the but where Tyler has a well, not Tyler. Robert has a dream where um, Tyler wakes up and pulls an egg out of his mouth and shows it to him. <laughs> uh, they have to get that. They have to get all of that motion going on. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a whole lot from the dreams. I'll be honest. Uh, either either uh, 
Tyler Whitney uh, offering me an egg in this trying time? Or what if you were a medieval lord dating your princess girlfriend, Anna? That was also just like, I don't know why you put this in here. Yeah, there is um, there is a sort of a vein of like, I wouldn't call it supernatural. Let's say preternatural, like uh, just stuff that is going on. Kath has these visions slash dreams. Uh, he sees things that he should not be able to see. Um, like when Alexei is stabbed to death, he sees uh, Alexei's death and then runs over to the car to like get his last words, even though there's no way he should know. Um, uh, hmm. I I assumed what happened there was we as the as the like audience saw that and he heard the scream and was able to place it. Um I that I had thought maybe it might be that um so but I also saw some people ref, like when I like when I looked at some walkthroughs I also saw people referring to that as a vision. Um mm. uh I've also I also the walkthroughs that I looked at referred to Kath using hypnosis techniques. Uh, on who? Uh, on the, um, on the Baron when he's freaking out at first to calm him down. Oh, well, okay. That's plausible. Cause he, you know, he learned weird, weird science. He, he learned weird science. And then of course there is the, there is the mechanical bird. <laughs> yeah that's the real (laughs) of course there is the there is the bird attack drone at the end of the game uh can we just talk about that real real quick i mean what is there to say really um so i i have some i have some writing advice um i'm no expert writer but i think um if the like if the defining character motivation of your story would be that the main character wants to find out the mystery of why his friend died um and eventually the answer is going to be he was killed by a mechanical bird um (laughs) that is in an egg that he's trying to sell for weapons um you need to hang on to that for a while like we need to explore that in more depth oh i see what you mean i was like i mean they hang on to it for a very long time you don't get the answer for ages (laughs) uh because it's just like what if i recall this right what literally happens is uh there is a point where kath figures out that that the firebird that everyone keeps talking about is a literal like giant bejeweled mechanical bird that if he presses the right gems on this egg will reveal itself and also can be induced to attack people with a with a golden whistle also but the player doesn't know that or if there was a point where the player was supposed to learn that i didn't see it so kath just like uses the bird six it on chronos when chronos shows up to be the video game bad guy at the end of the game uh and then he's watching this bird kill chronos and be like damn that that must be what happened to tyler (laughs) i i mean as as the player i got that clearly blowing the whistle made the bird do something special um but yeah it is very much a moment where 
yeah, he blows the whistle and the bird attacks and Robert's just like, mystery solved. I'm like, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> yeah, the, the game relies on you noticing that it's the th- same three gashes because apparently it always attacks the face first with its uh, th- three talons. And um, I'm guessing what happened with Tyler is either the older Russian um, ended up um, catching him because the egg gets thrown into his room at some point no explanation why and um i the, though the the other thing is potentially just like tyler was playing around with it and that the train went off and he's like oh shit i wait, i had thought wait. that anna took the egg when she found yes. tyler's body and later gave it to tatiana to hide to throw yes. people off that is what happened. Okay, yes. yeah, that sounds right. But that still raises the question of who who had the giant mechanical bird kill Tyler Whitney? No, uh, Tyler, see, this is the thing, and I think it's a bad solution to the mystery, frankly, but the, fi- the solution is there is no murder. The solution is that Tyler Whitney was like, I've got this bird and I've got this whistle. Damn, I wonder what whistle do. And he go, whistle go, <laughs> woo! And then he killed himself because he's a dipshit. With a giant mechanical bird. I, I do kind of love how at the end, after they end up sticking the bird on Kronos and his assistant, they realize, oh shit, I don't know how to stop this thing. So they basically have to run out of the... They have to sprint out of the train full speed. Um, and then eventually it blows up due to unrelated circumstances. But... Uh... I do also really like, I mean, as in, I think this is bad, but I enjoyed it. Uh, when the bird is attacking Kronos, his guard is like, oh no, and shoots into the air. Shoot the bird! <laughs> I think she is like, I think she has a moment of like, I will try to scare this bird the way you would a normal bird. <laughs> That's a bad moment! Um, <laughs> it's a magical robot gem bird! We- which okay hold okay the firebird Uh uh-huh was given to tyler whitney i have i have my uh i have my pepe silvia board the firebird was given to tyler by the serbians right uh probably he was supposed i don't know if that's ever made totally clear well, he's he's doing this to trade for gold oh, wait, so that yes. he can buy the weapons like yes okay yes. so he was going to trade the bird to chronos for the gold tyler whitney is the third adventure game protagonist in the last express so he was going to trade the firebird to chronos for the gold and then the gold to schmidt for the guns which he was then going to give mm-hmm. to the serbians right Yes, yes. And the Firebird was Serbian, originally. Uh-huh. But it's right. also Chinese? Why would it... What? No, it's not when Chinese. When you read the notes in Kronos' room from his spy, who was spying on Tyler Whitney, um, uh, the spy identifies the big egg that the Firebird is, like, concealed as, uh, as a Chinese-style, like, ornate golden egg. Huh. Hmm. So I don't I don't know what the significance of that is intended to be. I don't know if it's like if it's supposed to be the spy getting something wrong because the spy says, you know, he informs Kronos that Tyler Whitney is trying to sell 
the Firebird because Kronos has told him to keep on the lookout for Chinese golden eggs from the period of time that the Firebird is from. Interesting. Uh, maybe it's a case that the fire, like, maybe it's a case of multiple fo- folklores being the same, like, passed through different uh, cultures because you we have various examples of stories when you get down to that being the same but uh each culture had its own spin on it so people think that it's their story i guess i lean more towards like a a british museum situation where they just assume the provenance of the egg where where they stole it a long time ago they stole it (laughs) the serbians though sure why not I guess they could. It's just, I wish that this was, I wish this was more. Uh, this was addressed in any way. In any way. I wish, uh, I feel like if Kronos was a character um, who had. Why are you accusing me of not being a character? Um, because this is a game in which every white person's nationality is like super present and. Uh, highly informative of their backgrounds and worldviews and position, but when it comes to Kronos, he is simply the black guy? Question mark. We don't know anything about him, and I don't think it plays well either in like the you know in like the racial theming of the game or just in the plot. Because he ends up being, like, an antagonist in the end, but I don't have a scent. Like, I don't know enough about him to invest in the conflict between him and Robert Kath. Because he's just, mm-hmm. he's just a mysterious guy. Yeah, and then later on in the game, your train gets invaded by um, a different nationality who you don't really speak with them at all. You... I mean, you've been speaking with them for a while. It's the Serbians. Oh yeah, the Serb. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the four Serbians who have been on the train, and mm-hmm. you talk to I forget the guy you talk to, but the butch girl who tries to stab you is Vesna. It's it's so wild. I think how... it's, is it Milos? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Mi- yeah, Milos, Milos, Mi- yeah. Vesna tries to stab Kath and Anna, and then you can just run, and then when that doesn't work she runs out of the train car and then you can just wander into her on the train Mm -hmm. there was a point where she just passed robert in the car and he just went vesna as though she did not try to murder him (laughs) Uh uh-huh well this is part of this is the part of the when you're in public you gotta you gotta keep up appearances i guess this is the masquerade part but man (laughs) it's very it's very surreal yeah, adding to that is like they they make a big deal out of uh out of Robert Kath's ring being a family seal or something like that and like it's it's the symbol on the start screen, it's the symbol in the middle of the Fabergé egg whenever you're rewinding time and stuff like that, but it other than that it never really gets commented on. I guess that's where he gets transported to in his dream where he's dreaming about being married to Anna Wolf, but no, I think that's just like like just lady in a tower bullshit. I don't think there's any like No, it's I think that's I think that's generous of you, Jen. No, I think it is definitely it is definitely the tower on this like ring that he has, 
Um, I just don't think that ends up meaning anything because you never learn anything about the tower. It's too bad we never got the Laster Express. It's so there. It's too bad Anna says, "Oh, I'll tell you all about that fucking tower, big boy," and then the plot happens and it never comes up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the way the game ends is basically her being like, "Um, I can't really go with you to Constantinople right now, but it's no big deal. This war will be over in a month. It'll be okay." And then the which is, I mean, even not knowing it's World War One. That's the idea that a war between, like, major countries in Europe would last a month is probably the stupidest thing anyone says in this well, game. Well, she is, she's an agent of, like, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Like, she should know. Right. She's, that that's not, it's not gonna be that smooth. Yeah, they, it's, it's, uh, they, I, they just go for, like, the dramatic irony from a character who really should know better. Um... Which gets into some stuff with Anna. It's just, uh, just with the way she is portrayed as, like, you know, very... It's been a while. It's been a while since I did this mode of media criticism, but she's definitely, like, Kat's inferior in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that- like, there are moments near the beginning and middle where she's treated as a very capable double agent and, uh... Like, she's basically playing um, Herr Schmidt to basically trick him into selling the weapons so that he so that she can take him into custody. But uh, at some point, whenever fighting's involved, you basically have to go rescue her. And also, Kath is the one who eventually grabs her by the shoulders and is like, You fool! The Austrians are using you to set up World War One. You bimbo! They're gonna get you! Like, you're gonna you're going to be the fall guy in this plan, except it's stated earlier in the game that like Franz Ferdinand has already been assassinated. So world war one is happening. Like it's going. Uh, Well, I mean, I, I appreciate, like I, I agree with you from a historical perspective. I think the, like the thing that this game is going for is like, I mean, it's trying to show that these countries wanted this to happen, mm-hmm. right? And I think, I mean, you know, there is theoretically a world in which uh, Franz Ferdinand gets assassinated and then they talk it out. That could have theoretically happened. And it doesn't because, you know, because of a lot of reasons, but in this in this game's eyes, because these countries wanted war, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think, like that's part of what he's trying to get at in that moment is being like, you think you're here to try and like, you know, stop a war and it is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. That's fair, I guess. Mm -hmm. I just think it is a, it is a poor, it's a poor moment of showing for Anna's character. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Anna gets treated very badly in the moments that matter like there's the point where like you know he's going to to the front of the train and she's like okay well now you know stop the train we'll arrest everyone it'll be fine and he's like no i'm not gonna do it and she points a gun at him and he's he's like what you're gonna shoot me because it's the right thing to do for your country and your job and yourself no you've got a crush on me because i raise my eyebrows cute She's like, damn, you're right. He's a bit of <laughs> it sucks. He's a bit of an anti-Semite at her too. Is that the point where he accuses her of having no true nationality because she's Jewish? 
I think that's later, but that's true. That is, that's bad. That a, yeah. That is a definite thing that he says to her. Um, uh-huh. When she talks about her devotion to her country, and then he goes, what country? You're Jewish. Uh, he has a much longer speech about that, but that's the gist of what he says to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I saw that scene initially, I thought that he meant it because uh, she was in a she was representing a different country or something like that, and he was trying to make the point that people are more global now than they used to be. But when you put it like that, yeah, it's that's a real bad line. Mm-hmm. What country? You're a citizen of the universe. We're all just children of the earth. What are you talking about, countries? Uh- now that'd be that'd be if Alexi was the protagonist. <laughs> yeah, there there is a there is a cuts there the end credits. If you're playing the gold edition on Steam, got cut out entirely. But if you're playing the GOG version or watching it on YouTube, there's a whole montage of um just speeding through the years after World War um one. Well, during and after World War One, to show all the changes Europe went through in terms of borders and nationalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think those credits are like, they are a poignant moment as you're just sort of like sitting with the end of the game. Um, where, you know, I, the game like, even though you know, uh, like World War One is happening, the game sort of pulls a bait and switch on the characters where... They believe that, like, what they do on the Orient Express could cause or prevent a war, only to pull in the station and find out the war is happening anyway. Um, I, one of the things I had wanted to talk about, based on that part, is what do we think that the Last Express is saying when it talks about, like, nationalism and nationality? Because I, I think it is, I think it's quite muddled and sort of going at different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um... I think it takes almost a centrist point of view, just in terms of you you get to meet the various people with their convictions, and like you have some people who are just doing it, like uh, August Schmidt. He seems to say he's doing it for, as he puts it, the fatherland, but uh, he seems to mostly just be. He has his own reasons, more or less, and he's and also Kronos is more of a collector and fearsome weapons trader than anything else and uh it, it i think you also meet them and then you meet people who are basically revolutionaries and trying to overthrow the status quo you meet people who are very dedicated to their country like the british spy and the game kind of finds its faults with all of them and takes the side of robert kath this weird american adventurer who wanders in and out of countries solving problems yeah in kath especially i think whatever the game wants to say about nationality is very confused like uh kath is on the run because he's caught up with the irish republican brotherhood which is along with the serbians another sort of like nationalist cause that the game invokes but then sort of sets as equivalent to like a british nationalism or a german nationalism well actually i think they'd rather sidestep that issue i was all ready for that to be a thing but what the reveal is like actually a a, a member of 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 that got injured and brought to him and he's a doctor and hippocratic oath he treated him and that's it Mm mm-hmm 
So, like, he didn't actually, there was no political decision. He just did what a doctor is, like, oath-bound to do. He didn't make a political choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the game actually completely dodges talking about that in a way that I actually thought was a bummer. But Yeah, because, like, mm-hmm. it, so it, it invokes, like, Irish republicanism, and then you have the Serbian characters who are, like, uh, they are on this train because they're trying to get weapons from August Schmidt to fund, you know, their, to fund, like, a revolution in Serbia. And mm-hmm. it is... I I just, like... I feel like the... Whatever the game... You know, the way the game invokes nationality is muddled because it is taking these sort of, like... These different ideas of a national identity, which are at very different like levels of power and very different like conceptions um at this sort of like historical moment and um just sort of throwing them all together in a pot and i'm not sure if it is like i don't think it is really using these nationalities in a coherent way um beyond like as a necessity of the setting that it's chosen i mean jordan mechner is from new york right he's an american and i think i i I liked this game but i do think that politically this game comes from an american perspective of world war one right which was the u.s sitting over here as europe exploded and us being like damn that seems like a mess i guess we should get involved really pretty ignorantly Mm -hmm. right Mm mm-hmm if you look at, like, American history books, it was like, oh, well, the Doughboys got sent over and we just, we settled things down. And that is not the European perspective on how things went. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably not my perspective. Um, and so I think, like, I think this is, this game plays with a bunch of interesting stuff, but ultimately, I don't think it's trying to say very much and I think that is, like, I think that's a flaw. I'm not trying to say, like, and therefore it's okay. I think it's a flaw of the game that it is so interested in World War One, but kind of doesn't have shit to say about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you... I was going to say, and you, like, you watched the behind-the-scenes stuff, how they searched uh, the ends of the Earth to find the last surviving uh, dining car from the Orient Express to model and uh create a facsimile for this game and you hear about uh jordan mechter's passion for that period that time period and it's like i wish some i wish some of that came through with the game's politics in addition to trying to make it look as period accurate as possible well that's a trap right that's a thing that i think happens to a lot of people who become enthusiasts about like a time-locked aesthetic is they stop thinking of it as a political thing and they're just like, man, I really love the look of this period, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think one of the ways in which the game falters is it will invoke, like, it will invoke these really, like, um, these really, like, sort of difficult, charged, and differing conceptions of nationality, you know? And um, not really do anything with them. Like, Anna has a whole bit where she talks about, like, the history of, like, um, you know, like, the Balkan zone and um, her her sort of, like, um, both personal and family perspective um, that the place that she comes from is always going to be a pawn in, like, the games of Empire. Um, and then that 
doesn't go anywhere after she says it. Yeah, it's 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 a moment that I think reflects very badly on the game's politics that we have this moment of Anna being like, listen, American, you are out of your lane. This is extremely not your country, your continent, your business, your politics. Don't get involved. And and Kath is basically like, well, that's stupid. Anyway, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, at some point he's like, I'm going to make it my business because my friend died here and I'm going to find out what happened to my friend so that that allows me to do whatever the hell I want in this scenario. I know friendship probably doesn't mean a lot to you people. Like, whoa! <laughs> whoa there, buddy. Yeah, his friend who, as I'm reflecting on it, got himself involved in the cause of a bunch of, like, Serbian nationalist revolutionaries and then got himself killed with a giant mechanical bird that he didn't understand. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I would have really loved a version of The Last Express that sort of tied both of those two together and was like this is the tragic comedy of this american who is like wandered into um like the most european like nationalist uh mess that he could have possibly wandered into and just doesn't has no ability to like affect it or understand it but he sort of can like Robert Cav gets out of Europe before World War One happens, and I guess presumably is fine, except that he doesn't get to make out with the hot girl. Oh, he got to make out and have sex with her. That's he true. just doesn't get to do he it again. He doesn't get to do it again. Instead, he's like, well, I'm off to Palestine. See you later. Damn, I had to, I had to have a one-night stand and then have no obligations. Speak- Damn it. Speaking of invoking, like, real, speaking of, like, invoking things and leaving them, his ultimate goal is to get to, like, Palestine. Right? Which is uh-huh. like, wow, okay. To like, do, what is it? I think the thing he says is like, somebody has an ancient manuscript for me to look into. Like, his job uh-huh. is kind of wandering around and looting cultural artifacts. I guess that's part of, now that I think about it, I guess that's, I was, I had been wondering why Tyler was like, this seems more like your thing. I'm like, he's a doctor. What, you think he's going to operate on the fucking bird? No, he meant like the, the, the text. Mm-hmm. That and I it. think the bird too, because the bird is stated, like, the Serbians describe the firebird as like a national treasure of the people of Serbia. So sure. when Tyler says, seems more lane, more your lane than mine, I assume he means, like, highly valuable cultural artifacts. Which, I guess he wanted, like, Robert to look at it and help him understand what any of it meant. Whoops. Help, like, be there to, like, authenticate it so they could make the transaction or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... I'm talking myself into seeing a mu- like a uh, a version of the Last Express that is much more interesting to me. You want uh you want Robert Kath uh standing over Tyler Whitney's body swearing revenge as a recorder version of My Heart Will Go On plays. Um I'm not sure I do want that, but I'd be interested in <laughs> seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh now seems like a good time to get into some stuff about like, even though this game was a commercial failure, uh, Jordan Mechner didn't exactly let go of the Last Express. Like, um, around 2002, he actually had a screenplay for a prequel movie um, called Red Serpent. It was basically going to take place in 1904, um, 10 years before everything happened. 
um, Robert Kath would still be in medical school and uh, he'd be palling around with Tyler Whitney getting up to some shenanigans. And there's three reasons why he dropped it. One, it was it happened to be using, um, as part of its material, a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And as it turns out, a year into him writing that screenplay, a small book called The Da Vinci Code came out, which happened to be using the same material. And <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, shit. But... Um, also around that time was when Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, really got into development and he decided he'd rather go work on that than try and make this prequel movie. Mm -hmm. And also he felt like he didn't really have a good grasp on the on the version of the characters that he wanted to do. Like he changed for the prequel, at least in that original script, is that uh, instead of being friends, he was going to make... Um, Whitney and Kath half-brothers, and it, it seemed like it was in, in kind of a loose shape. But then the other significant thing is that in around 2010 or 2011, um, Paul Verhoeven, who you might know from Starship Troopers, movies like that, um, basically was like, yeah, I'm working on a video game adaptation. I'm working on a video game adaptation. It, uh, it was this interesting adventure game about being on this train, and... Around 2011 or so, it came out that him and Jordan Mechner were working on adapting this into a full-length movie. So your your whole thing about uh, Olivia, your whole thing about how you'd rather see this in movie form that almost seemed to pass, but I haven't seen any updates on the movie since 2011. So it probably got canned around the same time that the Prince of Persia movie came out, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. I could definitely see, like, Prince of Persia movie does well. Uh, they leverage that success into let's adapt The Last Express. Um, but, yeah. Uh, F, I guess. <laughs> Was that where we would have learned uh, what they mean when they refer to Cuba? I assume so. Like, um... Wait, wait, what? Both, uh... <laughs> Six, I don't think... You didn't read the telegrams that Kath and Whitney send each other, did you? Oh, that Cuba. Yes, sorry. There's I, kind of only my brain one immediately Cuba. Jumped to, well, my brain immediately jumped to uh, Herr Schmidt talking about Cuban cigars. Mm. And I was like, was that a euphemism? Okay, no, no I, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, Whitney, Whitney sends Tyler. I actually thought this was... P.S. still mad yeah, about Cuba. Yeah, this was Cuba. cute. Where Whitney's yeah. like, hope you're not mad about Cuba. And then you find Kath's uh, telegram to Whitney and Kath ends it with like, I'm coming, still mad about Cuba. And then I think even later, Kath has a line where he's like, I wasn't mad about Cuba. Yep. I, I was yep. just giving him That's a hard good. time. Um, At the time, I thought it was kind of like the bit, the anecdotes you hear occasionally in Uncharted where Sully be like, oh, you remember the hooker in Taiwan? That was crazy, huh? Yeah, it's but, uh, it is extremely like that. Yeah, I think as as much as like the character writing in this game can be like disjointed and like poorly chosen, it definitely has some like very charming moments. Um, mm -hmm. I I love the scene where uh, uh Schmidt gets <laughs> Schmidt gets dumped because he's not useful to the investigation anymore and is just sitting in the train car feeling very sad for himself. And, and you just you're staying there and he pours a glass of brandy and he drinks it, and he pours <laughs> another and he drinks it. 
and he pours another and he drinks it and you're like jesus dude <laughs> and he's like he's like talking about how his he got dumped and he's talking about how his whole life is a lie um actually he could never be like an industrial man of the world um uh, but that's okay because he's going to get back to, to Germany and he's going to go to his house and everybody on the train will come to his house and have a great party. And it, it's charming. I, Herr yeah. Schmidt, he's, he's just a fool of a man. Uh, I also love the scene where um, uh, uh, Kath like, detaches part of the express and Herr Schmidt is just kind of like on the other train car like, damn you, Kath. Damn you, Whitney, you're making off with all my merchandise, aren't you? And Kath is like, I don't care. Oh my god, dude, I'm, <laughs> I'm on such another level right now. Yeah, Schmidt even yells, we will meet again. And <laughs> Kath's just like, whatever. Kath is like... He's like, well, I, if, if that's going to happen, you should know what my name is. He's like, what? I can't hear you. Yeah, he's just, this man uh, on the back of the Orient Express speeding off into Serbia yelling, my name is Robert Kath. <sighs> Extremely yeah, white I, name. <laughs> I think my favorite little conversation, though, is at some point I was wandering around. Uh, I think I was waiting for um, Wolf to come back and get something. And it's around the time when the conductors are finally having a chat about someone complaining about the dog's presence in the cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the one conductor who's super fond of the dog is like, it's just a feature of the Orient Express. Everyone knows that Miss Wolf and her famous dog always stay and walk around. It is very charming. <laughs> yeah, the 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 fucking um early early 1900s Karen has complained about the dog that is barking next to her cabinet. Yeah, I like the I like the part of that conversation where the conductor's like um the one conductor is very reluctant to take Max to the luggage compartment and the conductor's like, what are you afraid of dogs? And the other one's like, no, I love dogs. And that's why this is so hard for me. Yeah. It's very good. Did you guys, um, did you guys find, uh, notice the lesbians? (laughs) Did we notice the lesbians? (laughs) What? There's a whole, Oh, Okay, I guess you could miss it. <laughs> There's two lesbians in this game who don't do anything and don't matter to the plot, but boy, do they sit around <laughs> and have relationship drama. Oh, because, uh-huh. like, when I was around them, they were constantly commenting about... Well, they were, one of them was constantly talking about trying to get the other to hook up with me, and... I guess I, guess I should have read from the conversation her repeated, um... Shoot, her repeated notion of shooting that down must have been a thing like, oh, they just joke around with each other like this sometimes. Well, or you could have found her diary where she refers to the other woman as her seductress. Oh. Yeah, their relationship <laughs> drama is that it's like a younger woman, older woman uh, type relationship. And the older woman is like telling the younger woman like, hey, you know, eventually we're going to have to marry men, right? And the younger woman's like, that's messed up. I don't want to do that. So when you heard conversations in which one woman is telling the other woman to hook up with Kath, that is their relationship drama, like playing out in the train car. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. It's like, I mean, listen, rich American, kind of cute. You could do worse. And she's like, you don't get it. I'm a lesbian. She's like, no, I do get it. 
That's the problem. <laughs> uh, they, it, it was also interesting how they were speaking in different languages to each other. Like, one of them was speaking, it sounded like French, and then the other was answering in English. Yeah, they they, they switch between both. Oh. Yeah, they both know English and French, so they go back and forth. I think they use... They use one language when they're talking about things they don't want uh, people to pick up on. Um, but uh, unfortunately for them, Robert Kath knows four languages. <laughs> wait, wait, what What are the four? Um, I, I read this. Uh, I read this when I was in the walkthrough. Every language that is subtitled in the game is because it's a language that Robert Kath speaks. So he speaks. Sure. He speaks English, French, Russian. Um, and, uh, German, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe that it's in sense. the manual. I'm gonna go back to the manual. But yeah, uh, only languages that Kath actually speaks are subtitled. And the ones that he, and languages that he doesn't speak, like, um, oh yeah, sidebar. They, they have some Persian characters on the train, uh, and they speak Arabic. Poor choice. Uh, um. But that's not subtitled. Uh, the Serbian dialogue, it, um, well, they don't, they speak, um, now I'm being the fool, and I forget what language they actually speak in the game, but their dialogue is never subtitled because Kath doesn't know their language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Persian mm-hmm. stuff's kind of uncomfortable because uh, the way that it's arranged is that uh, there's, there's like one of the, there's like a male sitting within one of the cabins and the three or four other cabins are for his uh, concubine. And whenever you're knocking on his door or any of the other doors, he just starts yelling at you. And the only other time you basically see him is when he tries to stop. Well, he he tries to step up during the invasion and then gets cut down. Yeah, they just sort of show up. Um, if you stick around, there are some awkward uh, like comedy scenes where he's interacting with the conductors because they only speak English and French, and he only speaks Arabic. Um, so there's some like not very funny comedy scenes of them trying to like pantomime to each other um, to communicate. Yeah, it's not it's not good. They're like they're, I I encountered the scene of uh like the conductor being like I'm here to change your bed and him and them just you know that exchange taking like five minutes of him just saying that over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it needed to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think it would? You think he would be a little bit better about that sort of stuff? Considering his most famous series is called Prince of Persia, but. Or maybe I would actually say it goes the other way. <laughs> maybe that's the reason he's not great at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't remember. You know, listen. Actually, maybe I should. Maybe I should stop because I don't know. Uh, I don't know Persian mythology. I don't think there's a thing about time daggers. But you know, yo, technology is not amazing. My I googled how many languages does Robert Kath speak, and Google just gave me. He speaks English. I was right. He speaks English, French, German, and Russian. And those are the languages that are subtitled in The Last Express. Also Klingon, but that doesn't come up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he wouldn't. He would... Uh, Robert Kath, a motherfucker who knows how to speak, like, Tolkien Elvish. That's his That's his preference. That's, that's fair. I suppose that's probably true. 
Uh, the one could... bit that I feel like I want to talk about that we haven't gotten to is all the Russian politics. Yes, uh, there is a significant subplot uh, about um, Tatiana, uh, her grandfather, uh, who's I always forget her grandfather's name, and Alexei, who are a group of sort of like uh, Russian nobles. It's uh, Vasily Obolensky. Right. The Obolinskis, and then oh, Alexei, who is um, a childhood friend of Tatiana's, uh, and like former flame, who is now an anarchist, or as she says very fearfully, a liberal. A liberal which, uh, from what I know, from, I know from what but, I know yeah. about Russian history, it's conceivable that he could have identified as a liberal, um, while still holding like what we would recognize as anarchist beliefs at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, because the thing about the Russian Empire is there were some points in which everybody to the left of, uh, of the Tsar was just sort of grouped together. Sure, sure. Wouldn't know anything about that. Grouping together the leftists. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's, that's a, that's a, a sad subplot. And I'm curious how, I mean, like, it's basically the story of, of Tatiana being like, I love my I love my uh, granddad, and he is nice to me, so therefore he must be a good person. And Alexi being like, "Girl, that's not how this works." Mm-hmm. But the game also treating Alexi like funny communist man, um, who yeah, is walking yeah. around with Nietzsche, and um, there's a bit in which there's a conversation in which Tatiana will like um, ask him what he wants to do instead, of, like what he wants to do instead of the state. Um, once he smashes the state and I'm pretty sure the game is written so that you come, you come out of overhearing that conversation and be like, man, Alexei doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he espouses like a pretty, a pretty clear anarchist view of what will happen after you smash the state. Mm-hmm. And like, again, that, that I feel like that you're right, that that conversation is supposed to make Alexei look bad. But like, there's the moment of Tatiana being like, so what you want to overthrow the government? What government do you want instead? And she, he's like, you don't get it. I don't want governments, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what part of this idea is so hard for you? Uh, yeah. And then later he goes on to like, if I can't kiss Tatiana, I will blow up the train car, um, uh, killing everybody. They definitely, like, set him up. He's supposed to have this, like, villainous turn where he's like, oh, I'll blow up the Orient Express uh, if it means uh, if it means killing Obolinsky, who is, like, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the specifics of what they establish Obolinsky to be, but I think he is, like, a personal relation to the Tsar. He's a count. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is a, he's, a, like, a, a Tsarist diplomat of some kind. Mm. Um, huh. Yeah, so he, <laughs> I'm like flashing back to what I know about Russian history, uh, uh, trying to, trying to find a revolutionary party to put Alexei in, um, cause he's basically doing some like classic Russian political terrorism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up just killing him anyway, right? Like with a, that's, that's the scene that you wake up to and go and um hold him as he's dying is that alexei uh kills this count no you have it backwards he goes in 
to, he's basically, oh, it right. seems like he's basically oh. made his peace. He's like, listen, I'm not going to kill you right now, but I do fucking hate you. And, uh, Vasily doesn't hear him out and just starts going at him with a knife. Oh, right. Yeah. I remember that now. And Tatiana's left. Th- this is also part that irritated me. Tatiana's left shell shocked to the point where she can only just sing. And the count's like, oh yeah, she's totally gone. She's just going to be like this forever. <laughs> it's like, uh, this sucks. She can only sing like Russian children's songs, but sadly. Yeah, that is, uh, and then ends up in the end of the, like, the resolution of her, like, plot is that she, uh, blows herself up along with the, uh, guns that the Serbians were supposed to get, um, while saying, like, there will be no more wars, uh, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, there's, there's like, I mean, I, I, I just dislike what a what a broad brush they 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 paint alexi with because i think like there are moments where he makes such good points but the game thinks he's making a bad point Mm -hmm. like there's a moment where where he's talking he's like i'll blow up this whole train and she's like how could you there's so many innocent people on here and he's like my girl this is the orient express everyone here is rich as hell there are no innocent people on this train Mm -hmm. and like it's kind of true kind of yeah there there are two there are two spies uh there are two spies uh two spies a german industrialist um fucking robert Kaff, um whatever chronos counts as um uh that engineer and his family that are going to where where's the engineer going again he's going to like a british colony to mm-hmm. to take its oil um a bad dude there uh the those yeah. two lesbians who are both like aristocrats um mm-hmm. uh hater has a point <laughs> yeah. everyone on that train is complicit or an agent or an active agent of empire uh it's for of course some of the well yeah active agent but like some of them are just like employees and they, you do walk across some of the conductors having a conversation being like hey you know i think there's going to be a war that happens what if we, the working class, just don't fight? Mm-hmm. Um, I caught the tail end of that we, conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a good, but you know, like naive conversation. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're talking about like, um, you know, uh, I think the way that conversation goes from hearing the end of it is like they talk about like. Uh, a general strike like all over the world to not do a war and then somebody's like well what if we the french workers strike and the german workers don't strike uh aren't we all just going to Mm -hmm. lose the war and then they're like ah shit prisoner's dilemma but for general strikes uh just a bit basic but i also don't know anything more about like uh european labor history at this period to be able to dispute it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any more general thoughts, or did we want to get to? Um, do we want to just summarize our feelings on the game? Uh, the only innocent life on the Orient Express is Max the dog, <laughs> who, who is my best friend, and I love him. True that. Yeah. Like, it's great. They even rotoscope the dog. Like. <laughs> 
they, they do. If you look at behind the scenes footage uh, that was included with the game, uh, there's footage of the jo- of the dog running around. Oh my god! I actually didn't look at these, and I will. I will to see Max the dog. Yeah. Overall, I thought it was like as as we've gone into um, the politics of this game are a mess, but. Uh, Overall, it's a very entertaining sort of adventure movie presented in the game that occasionally gets a little bit too confusing for my liking, but overall, I, I feel like it has a pretty good flow um, of just getting you in from moment to moment and building a sense of intrigue that doesn't necessarily pay off well, but it still finds an interesting cap to everything happening. Yeah, I've definitely... For all my frustrations with it, I've definitely played games that I came out away with a worse impression of. Um, even if I think it sort of um, mishandles the the thing, the pieces that it uses to build the narrative, I think it does have some very like interesting pieces um, that I only wish had been more, you know, more deftly used. Really, mm-hmm. but there's definitely parts that I remember pretty fondly. I, I had a really good time. I like a lot of what this game is going for. I think it misses a lot of what it's going for. But um, in general, I, I I feel like this, you know, people talk about this game as sort of being like a sign that adventure games were going to die. Um, and I think that's true, but I think that's partially because this game shouldn't have been an adventure game. What would you have rather seen it as? I mean, like, honestly, I hate to, you know, give credit to a dirtbag, but if it were in the style of a David Cage game, I think it would have worked a lot better. Uh, If I could cast a modern eye back into the past, I would love a version of this game, like, uh, that uh, was cribbing from Disco Elysium, with really intricate, like, Mm. role-playing and, uh, like, uh, conversation stuff. Um, Would love a game where it's just you as Kath wandering around a train and trying to, like, converse smartly enough to not die. I would love to, uh, to, to, you know, shoot the, shoot the, uh, fucking fascists with Alexi and then give him an ace as high. Uh, I would, I would love to see the version of, uh, Kath trading a beetle to a young boy for a golden whistle, uh, where he just fails every single skill check. I do really love the moment where you're, where, where you're like, he's, you've got the beetle and you show it to the boy and he's like, can you have it? And you're like, mm, no, that's mine. And you just walk away. <laughs> uh, I, I was just like so dumbfounded at that that I stood there until he ran to his cabin and got and brought the whistle back to trade with me. But I really want to know, like, how does that work if you show him the beetle and then just book it somewhere else? Does he chase you all the way through the train? <laughs> <laughs> no, you he'll he'll just hang out by his cabin and you can find him and he'll offer oh, it then. Okay. You're giving him yeah, such no, a charmed cause... idea of what adults are like, like carrying beetles in um matchboxes and being like, Nope, my beetle. <laughs> That's what Americans are like. It's not all I adults. found it. It's my beetle. But I'll trade it to you for a gold whistle. That kid is stealing. There's multiple conversations about how he's, like, taken or found something that somebody else is missing. Which I guess 
And it's because, but his dad's like, it's because he's such a brave scientist. It's like, no, nah, he just steals shit, my guy. <laughs> he's an eight-year-old on like a two-week train ride. He's gonna get to stealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's probably a good time to, well, we we didn't receive any questions this time, but if you ever, like after this episode, if you want to send us anything um, about this game or the other games we've covered, you can go. T- you can send an email to podcast at abnormalmapping dot com, and uh, we basically will accept emails anytime, just because we think it's interesting to have feedback on um, the stuff we talk about. But uh, yeah, with that out of the way, our next game is going to be Kindred Spirits on the Roof which is, uh, we're back in visual novel territory. It's this pretty famous, well, in in terms of the visual novel landscape, pretty famous game that's, uh, it's pretty adult in terms of its themes, and it's about, to put it- It's about the train lesbians from The Last Express. (laughs) They've moved on to bigger and better things. Like being ghosts. (laughs) one uh, One of them is a ghost, I believe. Yeah, this game, um, this game's been talked about a lot, especially in regards to Steam, because anytime Steam's doing its occasional attempt to kick visual novels off the platform entirely, it endangers the status of this game on this platform um, again and again. So there's going to be an interesting. I, I feel like it'll be an interesting vector to talk about that stuff as well as just getting into a game that's pretty well guarded. Hmm. Um, it's one of those games that I've heard a lot about, but because I've never played, I haven't reca- I haven't retained much of what I've heard about. It. So I just have this sort of sense that there was discourse here. Touching the ground, sniffing I am hand. actually waving my hand discourse uh, through, yeah. around uh, very slowly to the left of me as I speak. Mm. <laughs> Gandalf voice. There was discourse here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a pretty good place to wrap things up. Um, Where can people find you, Olivia? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at uh, Great Grebe, um, where you can also find a link out to my medium where I do writing. You can also find another podcast that I do, uh, which is called We Are the Champions, where uh, me and my girlfriend, uh, we randomly roll a champion from League of Legends every week, and then we talk about their lore in order to arrive at a perfect understanding of League of Legends. Uh, You can find... Poppy's the best. Mm -hmm. We haven't done Poppy yet. No, I was. <laughs> this week great. is uh, Rise. We're talking about uh, Mr. League of Legends himself. How How is your approach for... So, I'll, I'll confess, I haven't listened yet. It is on my list. Um, how is your approach for characters whose lore was rewritten, of which there are a um, lot of them? We talk about the current version of the lore, and then um, sort of go back and talk about, like... Um, different versions like in the rise episode we go look at the old rise art and i think one of us compares him to that crash bandicoot character rise from crash rise bandicoot. from crash yeah. bandicoot um yeah we we try to talk uh we we don't have a great source for all of like the old versions of the lore but if a character has been significantly reworked we try to talk about that and address that 
Great. Yeah, and you can find that on Twitter at Runeterra Tips. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, how about you, Six? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. I do a lot of podcasts. They're pretty much at scanlandmedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlandmedia. What about you, Jen? Yeah. I'm at JBU3 on Twitter, and pretty much any place you can find Six, you can typically find me too. Like, we do occasionally do podcasts separately from one another, but uh, we're mostly always in the same place, like uh, scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, and I hope people have had a fun journey. I tried to think of something corny to say with the train, but... That's not a fun journey. <laughs> Dinner service! Dinner service! Ah, the premier service! No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Shit. What does he say when they're not serving dinner anymore? <laughs> Dinner is not... The podcast is not served in the Discord. Please vacate the Discord call. We are going to clean up the channel. Please get the fuck out. <laughs> Tyler. Tyler.